Hi, I'm Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and this is episode three of Women in Product Marketing. I hope you are safe and healthy and taking a moment before the new year to reflect on 2020 and how you're going to crush it in 2021. You're off to a great start with this episode where I sit down with Seema Kumar, Chief Marketing Officer at New Relic. Seema shares her journey into marketing and how she took the leap from product marketing to CMO. You will not want to miss her wisdom on how she's created a new playbook for this unprecedented time. We also talk about messaging and positioning and internal networking during COVID, how she has been able to scale to embrace this new virtual world that we're living in. I'm happy to also share that Women in Product Marketing is now available on Google Play. You can also find it on Apple, Spotify, and of course, online at sharebird.com. Please subscribe and share with someone you think will love it. And hey, while you're at it, give us a rating or a review. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. This podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. And if you have any feedback on these episodes, things you liked, things you want to hear more of, or anything else, please send me a note on LinkedIn or email podcasts at sharebird.com. Now a word from our partners at Clue. Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. Uh, How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day. Learn more at clue.com slash Mary. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and I am thrilled today to be speaking with Seema Kumar, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at New Relic. She has a storied career in both product marketing and product management and has worked at some of the biggest companies in the Valley. She's also a great example of the new CMO pathway that really anchors in a product marketing background. She's now at New Relic, whose mission is to help their customers create more perfect software experiences and businesses. And Seema's PMM superpowers are messaging and positioning. Seema, we're so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Mary. I am so excited to be here and to talk to you about all things product marketing. Me too. Well, great. Well, I just want to start off by understanding what is something that you have personally learned lately? Well, it's actually something pretty interesting. So my family and I recently decided to spend six months in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. We figured with the pandemic, since everyone is remote, when life gives you lemons, why not make a basil lemon drop? So we've been learning that British Columbia is actually home to some of the largest temperate rainforests. So not tropical, think tropical rainforest, but much cooler. And this is a place where grizzly bears and black bears come to fish for salmon in the rivers. And it turns out that when they fish for salmon, they love to carry their catches into the forests and eat them quietly. 
And the salmon in those forests actually provide 50 to 80% of the nitrogen that the trees and, and all of the plants in the rainforest need. And so it was just so fascinating to learn how everything in that rainforest environment is truly connected in ways that we don't even understand. And I'm very passionate about the outdoors. And so that's something that was really interesting to me to learn. I love that. And that is such a fun fact to drop. So thank you for sharing that with everyone. Um, have you seen any of these bears eating salmon in your backyard yet? You know, I have seen many bears in my backyard recently. They frequent the area regularly. And so you can't put your trash out until right before, but not catching salmon, unfortunately. St still hoping that's going to happen. Well, I'm so glad to hear you and your family are having such a unique and great experience and making lemons into basil lemon drops, as you said. That's so awesome. Moving into a little bit about your career, can you tell us a bit about your current role, your company, and your team? Absolutely. So I am the Chief Marketing Officer at New Relic. And that means that I am responsible for full stack marketing. So I'm responsible for everything from brand to demand. And in addition to that, I actually also lead our sales development team or the SDR and the BDR organization globally as well. And the team has grown quite a bit. When I joined five months ago, it was about 85 people and we're now at 160. And one of the interesting challenges that I also have is that about 60% of my team has been at the company for less than a year. And so that creates some interesting dynamics, right? When the team is growing and so many folks are new, it's obviously a great sign for the business and for our team, but it also creates new challenges where you have a lot of new folks who are trying to figure out how to gel and how to learn everything they need to know about the business and the customers and the industry. So it's been, it's been a really fun ride. And that is such a major team. Do you have any recommendations or any tips for those 60% of your team that's brand new to the company during this time? How are you helping them onboard, get to know New Relic, getting to know the company culture in such a virtual experience? Well, I'm using a lot of what I learned myself when I came on board because I joined the team, I joined the company without having met a single person and I wasn't able to go to the office or any offices to meet people and kind of do the typical thing that I would do to meet folks. And so I had to really create a new playbook for onboarding and meeting people myself. I've taken what I have learned through my own onboarding and I'm using that to help my team members onboard themselves. So one of the things I'm having people do is get together in small virtual groups, unstructured, not necessarily with an agenda, just to get to know each other. I'm also encouraging that the newer folks meet up with some of the more seasoned folks to learn more about the business and our company and our customers. And I'm encouraging a lot of our newer folks to meet with our salespeople and our customers. You know, normally you would go on the road and you do a road show and you talk to customers. And in this environment, you can't do it the same way, but actually you get access to more customers because you're not bound by time zones or travel or costs of travel. And so I'm really encouraging people to take advantage of that opportunity that this affords us. That's such a great point with the customers, particularly. It actually opens up some new opportunities. And I also love the piece about the networking and the informal unstructured groups. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when I joined the company, 
I asked myself, how am I going to onboard and get to know 85 people in my organization? You know, my normal playbook of taking people out to lunches and happy hours and going from office to office, I can't do that anymore. And so I realized that I had to invent a brand new playbook. And this was all very early in the pandemic. This was in May. And so it hadn't really been done before. And so I was kind of left to my own devices to create a new playbook, if you will. And so I thought about, okay, what does this new situation afford me? Well, I'm not limited by travel and time zones. And so I started pulling together groups of people from all of marketing globally from the 85 people eight to 10 people unstructured. And it was just kind of like breakfast with the CMO. And I used that as a time to ask them questions. I created an opportunity for them to ask me questions or for them to tell me what they thought I needed to know. Was there a problem in the business somewhere? Was there feedback that maybe I wouldn't be aware of, you know, because of where I sat in the organization? And I went through the entire organization doing that. And because I didn't have to wait to travel, I got those done very quickly and I got an incredible amount of information. Another thing that I did was I asked everyone in marketing to answer three questions for me. And I think the questions were something like, what should we be doing more of? What should we be doing less of? And I'm blanking on what the third one was, but it was a structured set of three questions. And I invited everyone in my team to send the answers to those three questions. And inside of three weeks, I had gotten feedback from everyone in marketing globally at the company. And I had an incredible perspective on what everyone thought needed to be done. And so what was amazing was that because of this new playbook, I actually got so much information so much faster and I was able to develop a perspective on what the business needed much more quickly than if I had gone through the normal approach of traveling to each office and taking everybody out for happy hours and lunches and dinners. And so that was kind of what my new playbook is. And that's what I'm encouraging all of my newer employees to do for themselves as well. Wow, that's really amazing. It's like you scaled the classic listening tour that's with right. 10 people at a time with this survey approach. That's really great. We've, we talked on a couple of other episodes about the listening tour concept, but I've never heard it quite framed like this. So this is awesome. I'm going to maybe take this one for my own team and hope others do too. This is amazing. And you've had such a great career. I mean, I think it would be wonderful for you to talk a little bit about your rise to CMO I also want to think about that in terms of the, the context of how PMM helped you anchor and get ready for that CMO role that you have today. Can you talk a little bit about where you started in your career and how you kind of rose the ranks to CMO today? Absolutely. I'll be honest, I never thought I would be a CMO. It was not a direct path, if you will. I got a degree in computer science. I went to Intel and I did a sales rotation program where I carried a bag and I was a commissioned salesperson. So I was in sales and then I was a consultant. I went to, into product management. I spent about eight years doing product management and went to Salesforce as a product manager. And at some point in product management, my general manager pulled me aside and we had a really great relationship. And he said, I really think you're being underutilized here. You know, you're just thinking about PRDs and you know, product requirements and features and functionality, but I see you have all this energy around launches and pricing and packaging and messaging, and you're always over there talking to the marketers. I think you should move over to marketing. 
And I was very resistant at first because, you know, I'd kind of grown up in Silicon Valley where there is this mentality that you're either building product or you're selling it and everything else is just overhead. And I thought, (laughs) no, don't make me overhead. I don't want to be overhead. And, you know, he kind of didn't give me a choice and I've never looked back. That was the best career move I have ever made because I went into marketing. It turns out I absolutely loved it. And I went into product marketing specifically. That was the most natural transition from a product management role. So I I moved into product marketing. It was a lateral move and I absolutely loved it. And I found some fantastic mentors who taught me what I needed to know in product marketing about messaging and positioning. And I really enjoyed it. And I partnered up with a great product leader. I I do think one of the secrets um, behind a successful product marketing leader is having a phenomenal counterpart in product management. So I had a great product management counterpart. We had some very successful launches at Salesforce. And during that time, my responsibility grew. And so I started taking on things like events and customer marketing and playing a stronger role in demand generation. And that was when I realized I really like product marketing, but I'm ready to go. I'm I'm ready for the top job. I want to be involved in everything. I want to have responsibility for thinking about how to take something to market and thinking about that through the lens of AR, PR, you know, launch communications, pricing, packaging, and wanted to do everything. And so that was kind of how I ended up in the chief marketing officer role. And do you think that product marketing is going to continue to be something that recruiters and founders, other C-level executives are looking for in terms of the the CMO role? What do you think is so special about that now that you are the CMO and how that's prepared you? Well, I think, you know, in, in every business situation, there's a different need. Sometimes you need a brand CMO, sometimes you need a demand CMO, and sometimes you need a product marketing CMO. And I think When you need a product marketing CMO, it's often because the company is looking to strengthen their positioning in the marketplace, either relative to a competitor or just relative to where they've been before, or they need somebody to really help them tell a stronger and more emotional and differentiated narrative in the marketplace. And so I do think that there is a very strong need for CMOs that come from a product marketing background. And I think part of the reason that's true is that product marketing really sits at the nexus of everything in a company. I still remember when I did my first launch in product marketing at Salesforce, I called up my boss one day, Scott Holden, who's the CMO at ThoughtSpot. He's one of my product marketing mentors. And I called him up and I said, Scott, I've been walking around talking to the product management team, the pricing team, the sales enablement team, the sales leaders about this product we're getting ready to launch. And none of them are aligned. None of them are on the same page. They all have completely different ideas about what this product is and what we're going to do with it. And he said to me, Seema, that's what product marketing does. We're kind of like the quarterback. We pull everyone together. We get them aligned. We sit at the center and that's how everything gets aligned, right? You're sort of the unofficial orchestra conductor. And I think that really is a great um, way of describing what product marketing does. And I think that's a a great reason why a lot of companies are looking for a CMO that comes from a product marketing background is you end up pulling together all of the other functions in the company 
to be aligned with what you're putting out in market. I totally agree with Scott. I agree. PMMs are that quarterback and that it sets you up for that CMO success. And do you feel that there's been anything that's been specifically harder for you as a woman working in some of these more predominantly male fields, just in tech in general? Has anything been more of a challenge to you because of that? And if so, how do you think you've overcome that? I think I've been very lucky to work at companies where I didn't feel this was an issue, where I felt that we were all treated the same and we were given the same access to opportunities. I think what's hard about making the transition from product marketing to CMO in general is that you have to convince a set of leaders and members of the board that you can make that leap, that you can go from just thinking about the message and the narrative and everything that's part of product marketing to thinking about everything the CMO is responsible for. Can you handle pricing and packaging, which sometimes is part of product marketing, sometimes isn't? Can you handle external communications? Can you handle communications during a crisis? Are you going to be able to be accountable to a pipeline number? Can you go meet with the head of sales and earn their confidence and their trust that you are going to be able to partner with them and make their team successful? And that's really, I think, the hardest leap when you're making that transition from being a product marketing leader to being a CMO. Well, it sounds like you've been very successful in making that leap. So thanks for sharing all of that with us. Now we'll pause for a quick word from our partners at Clue. Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketer's platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement. Learn more at clue.com slash Mary. Welcome back. We are speaking with Seema Kumar on the Women in Product Marketing podcast. And I know that you have mentioned specifically that one of your passion points or even superpowers as a PMM has been really around messaging and positioning. What is your approach to this when you start at a new company or even when you're thinking about a new type of buyer? Yeah, great question. And I obviously just went through that myself. I think the key is to keep an incredibly open mind and almost imagine that you're um, an archaeologist, you're, you know, or an anthropologist, you're studying, you're going out on excavations and you're trying to learn. And you have to keep an open mind and go talk to as many people as you possibly can to get their take on your current message and narrative, what's working, what's not. And I think you have to talk to current customers, obviously. I think you should talk to customers who have attrited, who were with you and who have decided to go somewhere else and understand what they think. Those conversations can be hard, but I actually think that they're some of the most valuable conversations that you can have. I think it's really important to do research and message testing and not really in a quantitative way, but more in a qualitative way so that you can dig deeper and ask questions. And I think it's important to use a third party firm to do that so that you're not biasing the results. If you don't have the funds to do a third party message test, kind of a a cheap, inexpensive way to do that is actually to read RFPs, read RFPs in detail and make note of what types of questions are being asked and even 
what are the words and phrases that they're using to ask those questions? I think that can be extremely telling. And then finally, I think analysts are one of your best allies. Your analysts are receiving inquiries every day from your customers, your prospects, your competitors, customers, and prospects. And so they are very informed about what is going to resonate and what's not. And so spending time early on with those analysts is key to help inform your opinion. I think the final thing that is um, interesting to note when you make the transition from product marketing to CMO is that when you're the CMO, you hear from a lot more varied folks in your organization about what they think about the message. And you're trying to create a message that lands for your PR team, for your analyst team, for your salespeople, and for your CEO and your head of product. And it's tough to find a narrative and a message that works for all of those different constituencies who all have very different opinions. And so that's just something that I would say everybody who's thinking about a CMO role should know is that those different parties internally all have different expectations of what a good message and a good narrative looks like. That's such a good point. And do you find that anything helps with convincing them, showing the research, showing that the customers are saying things in that way? What, what's been successful for you in getting such a varied group to agree on the same statement? I think data really does help, particularly when you're talking to your CEO or your salespeople who all have their own personal anecdotes. You know, my favorite is when a sales leader comes to you and says, well, you know, I just pitched it to customer XYZ using this deck and they loved it, right? They all have those personal anecdotes. And so you really do need data to show them a broader perspective. We recently went through a process of doing third-party research and then presenting that to our senior leadership. And it was incredibly impactful to show the results of a third-party messaging test. That's really wonderful. And I love for the scrappier companies out there that might not have the budget, the recommendation of the RFPs. I've actually never thought of that or heard of that before. That's such a great asset that you already have at your disposal and PMMs are often, you know, asked to weigh in on those. So we already have a repository of that. That's, that's a great, great tip. Thank you for that. And what about for a difficult to reach segment like engineering? How do you think about messaging and positioning for them and make sure that it works? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, first you have to know your audience really, really well and know what is it that makes them difficult. And I think the answer to the question really depends on what is it that makes that audience difficult. I'll speak to the audience that we message to and and market to, and that's engineers. And engineers are very skeptical They're incredibly skeptical of sales and marketing. I might even say distrustful. And so you have to think about who are we going to lean on to deliver the message? Most companies use sales and marketing to deliver the message. But when your audience is inherently skeptical of sales and marketing, you have to find someone else. And so that is why you see a lot of companies who market to developers building up a developer relations or developer advocacy team. And this is a team of influencers who are engineers themselves. They just happen to be out in the communities where engineers kind of live and play, talking to them about what they do. And so because they are fellow developers and they're not there to sell anything, they are much more credible in in telling your story and delivering the message. The second thing I would say when you're marketing to an audience that's really particular and really just in general is that words really matter. 
every individual word or phrase that you use matters. Details really matter. So one example I have is we were at Salesforce, we were doing some testing for a message and we were using the phrase future proof. And this was for a technical audience. And the results came back where the audience said, you know, we don't believe that anything is really future proof. That's just, that makes us inherently skeptical of what it is that you're marketing. Whereas everybody who was kind of putting this together thought, oh, future proof is perfect. It really conveys what we're trying to say. So we think, you know, when you're dealing with a difficult to market to audience, you really have to pay attention to every single word. That's such a great point. I'm thinking of several examples over the years where we've had that, where we love it internally, but it really turns the client off. So making sure you know what that is. And so we've talked a little bit about, you know, getting that executive buy-in on the message using data, then making sure that it really resonates with your audience. How do you make sure that this then resonates through the entire organization and that you're really making sure each and every person is living and breathing this way of speaking about your brand? Yeah, I love that question because I actually think internal marketing is just as important as external marketing. And I'm really grateful that in my role here as CMO, internal communications is part of my organization. And that enables me to make sure that all of our 2,200 employees are familiar with our 30-second elevator pitch, our first call deck, the narrative, our value proposition, and kind of the pillars of our message. So I think internal communications, internal marketing is so critical because if I can empower and enable all of our employees with the right message and the right narrative, all of a sudden I have 2,200 marketers out there working on my behalf and it didn't cost me anything the way that a media campaign cost me something. So I really like to think that there is a seamless blend between internal and external marketing. And I think you have to excite your employees. I think when you're thinking about a product launch, you know, one of the items in your bill of materials should be, what are we doing to get our employees excited about this? What are we doing to train them? How are we gonna get them out there talking about this? In terms of how to do this, I think Salesforce does a terrific job of this. Once or twice a year, they actually certify all of their employees on the corporate narrative. And you have to think about the fact that Salesforce has, what, 50,000 employees or so right now. They actually physically certify every single one of their employees. And it's because they recognize that if they can get everyone on message telling the same story, amplifying their message, they are going to be unstoppable. And so that is one of the best practices I really like about how to think about internal marketing. Thanks so much for sharing that story. It's really interesting how you've been able to turn your whole army of employees into your own marketers and advocates. And as you've explained, sometimes that message and marketing are as important internally as they are externally. And I know that you've also done a bit with the internal marketing piece of it. And you have a great story to share about the finance team that you were working with last year and some cupcakes. Can you share a little bit more about that? So this was at my last company service channel and our finance team had all flown into town into one office from different locations and they were locked away in a conference room for three days, planning out the budget for the next fiscal year. 
And, you know, marketing was undoubtedly one of the largest line items in the budget, and we were pretty cognizant of that. And so I was talking to my leadership team, and we just came up with a fun idea. We said, How, what if we were to send them some cupcakes with giant dollar signs on them? We wrote them a fun poem asking for all the money that we need for the year. And so we did. And, you know, it probably took us an hour in total to write the poem and get the cupcakes and have them delivered. And nobody else was doing anything like that. It totally stood out. They laughed, they had fun, we had fun, and it was memorable. And so I love doing fun kind of guerrilla things like that. And I, I also think it's a great opportunity for your team to get to be creative and have some fun. And you build a brand internally as a team that's creative and has great ideas, which is what the marketing team is. Did you guys get the budget? Was it successful? It was indeed successful. We got what we needed. Wow. That's a great ROI. So cupcakes for your budget. I love that. I might take that approach too. Well, I can't believe it, but we're all ready to our rapid fire questions. So I'll just list off a few questions. You give me the answers and we will go from there. Okay, um, so great. Who have been um, some of your strongest PMM mentors? My strongest PMM mentors, I would say three people, Peter Gaylord, who is a VP of marketing at Salesforce still. Scott Holden, whom I mentioned earlier, he's currently the CMO at ThoughtSpot, also formerly Salesforce. And then Jim Sinai, also formerly Salesforce, who is now the SVP of marketing at Procore. Thank you so much. And um, it's great to see that they've been able to be champions of you throughout your career as well. And how do you find a mentor? So for those that are looking to have a mentor, you know, especially in the virtual environment that we're in right now, what's your advice? I think a lot of people struggle with finding a mentor. I will frequently ask people who I'm mentoring or I first meet, people who work for me, and I'll ask, do you have a mentor? And a lot of them will sheepishly kind of look down and say, no, I don't. And so I think this is a really important question. I think it's a lot like dating. It's a numbers game, and you just have to keep putting yourself out there and trying one of my mentees who's at Salesforce, he makes a point of scheduling, in, this is in COVID, at least one meeting with a new person a day that he's never met before. And he just asks people in his network, hey, is there anybody that you know that's really good at marketing operations you can introduce me to? Hey, is there anybody who's really great at storytelling you can introduce me to? And he makes sure he has one every single day. And just through the process of meeting new people and finding people that you click with, you find somebody who ends up knowing more than you do about something and you find a mentor. I think it's really important to note that a mentor is not always somebody who is more senior than you in their career. So I have a mentor who started out as a mentee of mine at Salesforce. She's since left. I'm a mentor of hers and she's become a mentor of mine on topics of DE&I. And that was a relationship that I never saw turning out that way. And in light of everything that's been going on over the last year, she's somebody I reach out to and call about once a week now. Wow, that's really great. Changing up the perspective, depending on what you need at the moment. I love that. And I also am very impressed with your colleague that meets with someone new every day. That's quite a goal. <laughs> I know. I'll be happy if I can do one or two a week. Yeah, definitely. It's great to think about that, though, and having some goals around it, whatever is reasonable for you. And I know this is probably hard to narrow down, but if there was one thing that has been the most important in growing your career, what would you say that is? I would say the most important thing in growing my career is having a growth mindset and bringing that growth mindset to absolutely everything that I've done. So anytime I thought, 
I can't make that transition into marketing at this point in my life. I've never, never done marketing. Having a growth mindset was what enabled me to do that. And the same thing when I made the transition to CMO, it's just having an open mind and thinking about what's possible. And if you're not familiar with the term growth mindset, there's a phenomenal book by Carol Dweck about having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, which I would highly recommend to everyone listening to this podcast. I'll definitely check that out. And we talked a little bit about earlier networking internally. How are you networking now with your connections that you have, keeping in touch with people, making new inroads? Is that something that you're making time for? And if so, how are you doing that today? Yeah, I am making time for it. And actually, I think this is one of the benefits of the life we're living right now, because now I can just reach out and say, hey, let's grab 20 minutes and just catch up over Zoom or FaceTime. And that's a lot easier than the old way of, oh, we should get a drink and then three months go by and one of you has to cancel and a year passes. So I actually think that it's easier now to stay in touch with people and to network because there's just much less friction in scheduling. And also nobody has anywhere to go. So it's not like somebody's gonna say, oh, I'm traveling that day, or I'm sorry, I have a dinner that night. So I actually think networking is so much easier right now than it used to be. You just have to be proactive about it. That's such a great point. Lower barrier to entry. So don't be scared right now. People are open to it. And my last rapid fire question for you is why product marketing? I love product marketing because I love taking things that are really complex and making them simple to understand. And I think at the end of the day, all of these, the storytelling, the messaging, the positioning, all of that is about taking a complicated concept and explaining it in a way to people that they can say, oh, yeah, I get that. I understand how that could be useful. And I really enjoy the challenge of doing that. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you've been great at it in your career. So thanks so much for sharing all of these insights with us. And very last question for our listeners, how can people keep in touch with you and understand what you're working on? They can follow me on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Seema Kumar. All right. Well, we will follow you and was such a great conversation today, Seema. We really appreciate the time. I hope you'll keep us posted. If you do see a bear eating a salmon in your backyard, <laughs> that's what I want to be in the loop on. In addition to all of the wonderful topics that we talked about today, but thanks so much for all of the insights and we really wish you luck in Vancouver and as well on your career. It sounds like you're doing a fantastic job and you're just such a great role model for all the listeners. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Mary. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Now a word from our partners at Clue. Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now, everyone can compete to win. For all of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will love, head on over to clue.com slash Mary. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash Mary 
and tell them that I sent you. They'll set you up with a bunch of free resources that you can use to get started. That wraps our third episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share with someone you think will love this podcast. We are skipping a week for the holidays, but we'll be back in the new year with Gila Siegel, the Vice President of Product Marketing at Clary, where we dive deep into sales enablement. You will not want to miss this. Thanks so much and happy holidays.